Buenos and half a day. Welcome to One with Grief. I'm Kate Baltazar Dodge. I'm uh, super excited to be back here on episode three, uh, talking about all things grief and grief recovery. Uh, as you know, I'm an advanced uh, grief recovery specialist. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome. Uh, pull up a chair. Um, I'm happy that you're here. So in the first um in the first two episodes, uh, we talked about some fundamentals about grief, and uh, those were that um, what grief is, what grief isn't. Uh, grief is uh, the natural and normal reaction to loss of any kind. Uh, it's also a change, uh, the conflicting feelings in a change of a familiar pattern or behavior. And so how we broke that down and as examples were, for example, uh, if you, uh, if you were relocating, for example, it, that's a happy, happy thing. Um, if you're relocating for a better job or, um, you're graduating, um, or you are getting married, those are typically associated with happy events. However, they can also, uh, bring on feelings of grief and loss because, uh, as you're graduating, you're moving on to something new, the familiar pattern or behavior of uh, either high school, if you're graduating from high school or college, if you're graduating from college, is um, is is ending. That familiar pattern that you're used to is, is ending. Um, so you're having conflicting feelings. I'm happy I'm graduating and um, I'm closing this chapter of my life, but also I'm going to miss the things um, that I really enjoyed in my high school or, or college life. Um, so that's the definition in terms of conflicting uh, patterns of behavior. Loss of any kind. These are feelings um, that uh, come about in any of the 40 plus life events uh, that we have um, throughout our lives, either uh, loss of a parent, uh, loss of a spouse, um, the loss of any relationship, uh, loss of finances, the loss of your career, the the loss of uh, of friendships. Uh, certainly, in this time of uh, COVID, uh, in the pandemic, we've we've lost a lot of things that we are just now, um, maybe not just now, but in general, have learned to kind of live uh, live with, but are still, um, you know mourning in terms of the loss of autonomy, um, the loss of um, a sense of knowing uh, what the future is going to hold and being comfortable in our spaces. Um, you know, there's, there's just a loss of um, choice in, in many, in many um, uh, areas. So that has brought upon a lot of grief, you know, all this change, um, familiar patterns of behaviors don't exist uh, for many of us anymore. Um, for, for us and for our children, for example, in the way they are getting their education. Uh, in some places, um, they're doing everything online. In other places, they're doing things partly online and partly face-to-face. -face. And even when they're face-to-face -face, uh, on the campus, uh, they're not doing the normal everyday things maybe that kids are doing. They're wearing masks. They're behind acrylic. Um, they're not playing on the playgrounds together. 
They're not seated together uh, in the cafeteria. They're, they're socially distanced. They're distanced six feet. And so there's all these new things that have come about um, in, the, in the course of, of the pandemic, which added to the things that we were already grieving. And by, by just by virtue of being human and having these human emotions, um, each and every one of us is a griever, 100%. Um, and that grief is felt at a hundred percent by every griever. So, um, we like to say in grief recovery that we don't compare losses, um, that loss is, is, um, felt by every griever, no, no matter the loss, uh, it's felt at a hundred percent. There is no halfway in grieving. So, uh, today, after uh, after much uh, thought, um, I I decided that we should talk about after we talked about the myths, right? In uh, episode two, we talked about the things that are well intentioned but misinformed, and these are the things that people say to you because grief is uncomfortable, right? No one wants to no one wants to talk to you or no one wants to ask. It's a very uncomfortable thing to talk about. And um, one of my goals through this podcast is to normalize talking about grief and hearing about grief, hearing about it just as much as you would hear about things that are celebratory. Because throughout our lives, we're we're taught to celebrate and acknowledge the happy times. Um, but very rarely are we taught the proper, healthy ways to deal with uh, loss and, and sad times. And I think uh, that that is the crux of, of many challenges that people have is that um, we know how to celebrate. We know how to acquire things, um, as we say in grief recovery, but we're never taught what to do when those people or things go away. So, um, I like to say, normalize it, normalize talking about grief. Um, we feel grief just as much as we feel happiness, um, whether we acknowledge it or not. So the more we normalize it, the more we talk about it, uh, the more we are able to seek help for it, uh, the healthier uh, we will be as a community, right? So, uh, one of the things that, uh, we, uh, we often talk about when we were doing our group uh, grief talks in the community, we would talk about not just the myths of be strong, um, you know, um, replace the loss, uh, time heals all wounds. You know, those are kind of like the things that people say to you um, and you might have said to people who are grieving um, that again are misinformed, well intentioned, right? Because people think they're making you feel better um, by saying "don't feel bad" and replace and you know replace the loss somehow to try to get you to grieve faster, to hurry up with your grief um, because it's uncomfortable for us, and also we don't like seeing you sad. And so, um, grief knows no timeline. I think I don't know if I had touched on that, but. Um, we go through so many grief uh, events in our lives and we don't realize them until we're older that we look back and we're like, oh, that was, I don't know why this is um, touching a nerve with me now. Um, and sometimes an event will happen and it will open up 
a whole other host of other feelings and memories uh, of grief events that you had as a child um, or as a young adult even. And uh, now you're sort of reliving this grief and you're wondering, gosh, that happened so long ago. Why am I feeling so badly about it now? Uh, grief knows no timeline. You know, that, that event is a part of you and it's a part of your emotional history. The, the episode today uh, focuses on what we call STURBS. STURBS is an acronym for short-term energy-relieving behaviors. Short-term energy-relieving behaviors. So STURBS. And uh, in grief recovery, we specialists uh, have turned it into a verb like STURBING. You're STURBING. And what that, what that means is these are behaviors that we've, we've taken a part in, we take part in or that we employ uh, as a means to cope with our grief or ways to mask the pain and ways that we, um, we, we self-medicate, if you will. Um, and more often than not, it may seem benign. It may seem completely harmless, and um, some of them are so socially acceptable that we nearly bat an eye if we know that somebody is going through something, um, that they engage in these activities, for example. Um, a lot of them are, you know, um, as I said, seemingly benign, but when they happen all the time, when you engage in them repeatedly, continuously, compulsively um, as a way to release some of this energy that is brought on by unresolved grief, trying to get through your grief and work through your grief. Um, these things be can become unhealthy and they can obstruct your natural process of, of working through your grief. And, and um, many people do it. They, it numbs the pain. It, they help it helps with the loss, you know, for example, uh, some of the, one of the ones is of course, um, eating, our eating habits change when we're grieving. We either eat much, much less or we overeat, um, as a way to, uh, bring us some comfort, you know, in, in grief and loss. Um, alcohol use is another big one, alcohol and drugs. Uh, a lot of people um, develop temporary, hope, we hope, um, but sometimes long-term uh, substance abuse challenges um, when they are in a period of grief and experiencing grief and loss. Um, the other is uh, retail therapy. Okay, ladies, don't feel attacked. Um, but this, there is something about compulsive, obsessive, continuous shopping um, that helps us feel good temporarily though, right? We're not really working through our feelings. We're just, we're just replacing the loss. We're just putting something there temporarily that's going to make us feel better for right now. And a lot of grievers, a lot of grievers don't quite even understand that they don't know what they feel. They just want to feel different. They just want to feel better. 
And so um, who doesn't like acquiring new, new stuff, you know? Um, and, um, you know, men and women engage in retail therapy. So um, th that is potentially detrimental yeah, to your finances for sure. So that is one, retail therapy. Um, the other is uh, risky sexual behaviors. So I had a client who became, um, I think I mentioned this in my last, uh, in my last uh, episode, but he did become like the serial dater and uh, was realizing that he was putting himself, his, his health, most especially at risk by engaging in risky sexual behaviors with multiple partners. Um, and uh, so at the root of all that, he did realize that it was a way for him to mask the pain, to replace the loss, um, and to try not to feel bad about, uh, about recent events in his life. So a lot of these things, um, you know, again, for example, one is uh, turning into a workaholic or becoming um, um, obsessed with working out. So in and of itself, working and working out at the gym, for example, aren't, you know, you would just say, well, you know, they're, they're trying to keep busy, which is another myth of grief that we talked about. They're trying to keep busy and they're replacing the loss. They're replacing their time spent doing these things, but it's actually driving you further and further away from grappling with exactly what it is that is making you feel badly and um that the longer it takes for you to um to really come to grips with your your feelings and and just tackling um that grief um the worse the worse things will get if that makes sense so sturbs short-term energy relieving behaviors this happens, you know, and again, it's not, um, I guess I should have prefaced this by saying it's not a, a passing of judgment if you are recognizing that you are engaging in these things now, if you may have engaged in these activities before and realizing that it was tied to something that was um, causing you grief or there was a loss event there, like a breakup, a divorce, <clears throat> or um, something along those lines, pet loss, the loss of a parent. Um, you didn't get that promotion that you really, really wanted. Um, you're grieving the loss of your freedom and autonomy uh, in the time of pandemic. Uh, everything has changed. Everything we do has changed. Going to the grocery store, going to eat at a restaurant, um, the way we have weddings, uh, the way we have anything that is, involves a family gathering has changed. And that is a huge, huge source of stress and grief for many. And so you may find yourself um, certainly engaging in these, in these, and these are really common, uh, overeating, um, alcohol use, drug use, uh, risky sexual behaviors, over, overworking yourself, so work, workaholicism, uh, working out too much at the gym, uh, binge watching Netflix or other, you know, streaming um, services. <clears throat> These are all uh, certainly things that we engage in and uh, myself included uh, to have 
tried to to mask uh, these feelings of grief and loss. Um, a really common one uh, in in kids and teenagers is gaming. And I had a um, I had a client, a mom who was in my helping children with loss group, and that is definitely something that her son in, uh, engaged in when they, she lost her husband, her son's father. Um, he didn't want to engage. He isolated himself, as grievers will do. Uh, I think that's probably um, that's probably something I would say that is in the top three things that grievers do is isolate, aside from the other sturbs. Um, and he would just sit in his room and game. And she would have to break him away from it to eat, talk to her, get some fresh air. Uh, but she recognized that um, it was an escape for him. Uh, so that's certainly one thing to look out for in our in our in our uh, kids. Just trying to see, you know, where they're at. If you know they've had a grief event, or if you sense something is happening, maybe with them or in their in their um, friend group. You can certainly uh, mitigate that, you know, just being in tune with them and noticing that, for example, they might be gaming a lot, lot more uh, than than normal. Um, you know, the things that we, as I'm thinking about it now, um, again, you don't want to... Um, feel badly and seem as though this is something that uh this is something that um you should be embarrassed of or or ashamed of um but self-awareness and knowing that this is something that you may have engaged in in the past is is worth highlighting so that in the future you just know that you don't want to engage in these unhealthy things um, just because you want to seek help for whatever it is that is truly causing you grief. Um, I get a lot of questions about, do you want to, um, do, do, do you need, how am I framing this? Is there specialized help for, is there specialized help for um, each of these things that are STURBS? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you wanted to just drill down and talk about all the different things that you, you, that you could get help for um, in terms of alcohol, drugs, um, overeating, and all of those things, certainly, absolutely. But nine times out of 10, I will say that you should address your grief first. Because um, if, you, if you put the cart before the horse, if you put the cart before the carabao, <laughs> let's say, and you're, and you're trying, to, trying to stave off overeating and you're eating healthy, that's good. Um, and you realize that, you know, you're, you're still overeating and you may go back to overeating and you're wondering why. Well, it's because the source of your overeating is your grief. There is something that we say in grief recovery and 
it is a tenet that we absolutely stand by. And it's, but first, grief. So there is anxiety, depression, um, all these things uh, that lead to, obviously, disturbing. But the source of what's causing all this disturbing, short-term energy-relieving behaviors, it's short-term. And unless you address your grief head-on, unless you absolutely work through your grief events a little at a time, um, you will go back to, to these behaviors um, because you will go back to over, over either overeating or trying to stave off this pain and mask the pain and self-medicate. So the message would be, um, one, uh, self-awareness. Are you engaging in these activities now? Um, have you engaged in them before? And what event was tied to you engaging in these activities? The beauty of the grief recovery method and working with a specialist is that we will help you figure that out. Um, and it's what we're trained to do because we're experts in grief. And until you make that investment and do the hard work, it'll always be there. There'll always be that little knot in your heart um, that you must unfurl. <laughs> um, there'll always be the fourth flat tire. The fourth tire will always be flat. Um, those of you who have heard us uh, speak, and by us, I mean my, my fellow uh, grief recovery specialists, when we speak in public, we talk often about the flat tire because it's like the perfect metaphor. Um, not resolving your grief is the same as having a flat tire. Absolutely, your car will run and you'll be able to get to and from, but you'll probably do so with some damage and you'll do so and and do life in, in a much slower, emotionally hindered pace, if that makes sense. So uh, we often say, you got to fix that flat tire. You have got to. Um, and that is certainly one way to do it is through grief recovery. Um, grief recovery is not for the faint of heart um, because you are constantly um, reevaluating the events in your life and you're putting these events out in front of you and laying them out for you and your specialist to see. But I think that what that does is it makes them organized, if that makes sense, and helps you to see the depth, the intensity of the grief that is that is uh, that result that results from each of these events. And you're able to give yourself some closure. If there's one thing that uh, grievers often do is um, they, they prolong their grief by wishing for a better yesterday. And I tell my clients this, you are wishing for a better yesterday. You are living in shoulda, woulda, coulda. Different, better, or more. You're thinking about how things could have been, would have been, should have been, 
uh, you're thinking about how things could have been different, better, or more. Um, and so grief recovery really does help you in, in just the most amazing and empowering way to sort through these grief events so that you can stop disturbing, <laughs> so that you can live your best life, so that you can uh, be healthy. And it's one step at a time. And, but listen, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so I do invite you uh, in whatever way, shape or form uh, that you can to gain some self-awareness on the activities and behaviors that you engage in every day. Decide which ones are healthy and which ones no longer serve you and are not serving not only your present self, but your future self. Um, people often wonder um, about, for example, they ask us about the cost of grief recovery. And I like to say, well, what is your grief costing you now? So if you're disturbing, I'm sure your grief is costing you your retail therapy, all the alcohol you're buying, um, drugs, uh, working yourself to the bone, becoming a workaholic. So I'm sure you're paying the price for your grief uh, in an unhealthy way. So let's flip the script, guys, and uh, invest in, in the time, the program, and the expertise that is going to guide you uh, to, to a happier and, uh, and healthier life. So again, um, just know that um, when you talk about your STURBS, when you think about and assess your behaviors and activities and the things that you engage in, um, you know, it's not, it's not because anybody wants to judge you or anybody wants to waggle their finger at you and say, that's not nice, don't do that. Um, but it is very much a way for you, um, if you truly desire to live a happier, healthier life, um, to take stock of these things and um, seek help in, in the ways that, that you can. Uh, many of us um, have not been in your shoes but have many of, I will, I will say that we are grievers ourselves. And in order for us to get certified, we had to go through this program and tackle our own grief because that is tantamount to helping others uh, with their grief um, is having the courage, having the, the bravery, the courage and, and the will to overcome and resolve uh, our grief. And so that was a, a part of our certification. So we've walked this path. Um, we walk it every day. We continue to do the work, as we say, do the heart work um, as we continue to heal your hearts uh, out there. So um, if you have any questions for me, um, please send me an email. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. You can email me at kate at katebaltazar.com uh, or you can find me on social media Instagram and Facebook under KB Grief Recovery um, 
this has been a wonderful time with you uh, on this third episode of One with Grief. Thanks for joining me today. And uh, I look forward to uh, speaking with you next time. So just ma'asi, stay well, everybody. Adios.